Hello, hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of The Daily Friends Show. I am your host, Nicholas Arama, and today I'm joined by Mr. Terence Corrigan. Terence, how are you, sir? Freezing. Very much the same here. Um, and also by Mr. Michael Morris. Michael, are you also freezing? A little warm, actually. I mean, it's sunny and, and clear here today, but I believe it's snowing where you are. So well, this was earlier. We got, so we, got, we got Cape Town was, second-hand weather. Uh, uh, indeed. I'm, I'm sorry. Sorry about that. <laughs> uh, this morning in Johannesburg, there was a light dusting of snow uh, that I woke up to. Um, and there is currently cold air outside blowing through the trees. And it is just generally freezing day. I think it's one of the coldest days in a long time. I think the last time we had snow in Johannesburg was 2012. Uh, so this Ooh. is rather unusual. Not a lot, mind you. Um, I think some parts of the city got more than others, but uh, where I am, it was pretty much all gone by the time it got to the ground. Anyway, um, unusual freezing cold weather. So let's talk about uh, a topic that sends a chill down my spine, uh, and that is the national health insurance, where we recently, there's been this big public pushback against the national health insurance. Uh, it, it went through parliament quite unexpectedly. It had sort of dragged its feet through the legislative process for a while, and then suddenly it was through into the parliamentary process and, and, and passed. It's still not done through the legislature procedure, but uh, it's it's on its way. And this, I think, shocked quite a lot of the sort of mainstream of South Africa's opinion, who had thought that uh, NHI was never really going to be implemented because it was so expensive, or maybe they thought that it was going to be significantly modified. I'm sure there were some of the medical aid companies that uh, had that view. Um, but anyway, it got this big backlash, and now its pri prime architect, uh, Nicholas Crisp, has come out in defense of it. And he gave a long interview to, not that long an interview, but he gave an interview to Alec Hogg, where he kind of suggested some reasons why uh, NHI wasn't really the thing that everyone was so, um, <clears throat> uh, should be so worried about. He's referred to the opponents as running an Operation Fear. Uh, that it's all just vested interests trying to stop the reorganization of our healthcare system. Um, he said the structural issue in how healthcare is purchased, both in public and private sectors, are not functioning optimally. The media tends to focus on the private sector, but it's worth noting the majority of NHI's bill's content is centered around restructuring our public sector. He says that uh, the bill seeks to centralize far more decision-making with the minister and that this will improve accountability and management. But he also says that there will be an element whereby individual hospitals will get more authority to determine certain things. Um, he goes on to say, uh, when asked about the effect of catered appointment and political interference on the managing of the healthcare system, he said, regarding catered appointment, I prefer not to comment on politics as I have no involvement in that sphere. However, I can discuss management in the public sector. 
Studies have been conducted to understand the underlying problems and political interference is one factor that hinders effective management. Even if a competent individual is deployed, interference and changes in political leadership can disrupt operations. This is a widely acknowledged challenge within the public sector, and it's difficult to prevent such interference. The plan currently in progress, including those related to the National Health Act and the NHI, aim to tackle these challenges and provide a framework for improvement. It won't be an easy or quick process, but it will set the stage for positive change. I'm not really sure how that will happen, but anyway. Uh, he also talked about how there were too many medical aides and too many administrators. And so he sort of made this kind of, it was quite a brief comment and he wasn't challenged on it saying, we may transition from 72 medical aides to five or six streamlining administrations, simplifying the process once your NHI is implemented. So the implication there being that uh, uh, less competition in the medical aids space. Um, Terence, let me start with you. What did you make of this interview? What do you make of the way the debate is unfolding on NHI currently? Look, let me just say uh, as, a, as, as an opening shot that uh, I've got a great deal of respect for Alec Hogg and I really liked like, the business platform, but I think that you rather let himself down in this, in this interview. Um, I think that, that Nicholas Crisp actually didn't come across too badly but I think also most of the uh, most of the most important issues were just unaddressed. Now this is I'm referring specifically to the um, uh, to the interview. I think that that uh, some of the uh, points that, uh, that that Chris made about uh, administration costs and um, in medical um, in medical aids are valid. Um, uh, but the sort of kernel of the, the kernel of the issue I, I think just just sort of eluded that that, uh, that discussion and it's this that um, this would in in, in crisps in crisps words would uh, entail a, um, a, a centralization of funding is <clears throat> that it's not just funding currently within the government currently being performed at various levels of government but it's also the the, the idea is to take Money that is that, that is being spent voluntarily in, on on the private sector through those private medical aids, centralise this, um, you know, in a um, in a structure where uh, ministerial discretion uh, seems to be, you know, fairly heavily concentrated. That's one of the cr uh, criticisms that, it, that that it's encountered, even for people who are quite sympathetic to the idea, um, and that would then create a monopsony. Now he says it's going to be great because it's going to it's it's going to reduce um, uh, reduce costs. Well, two things I think. Um, I think we're not we're not addressed that that monopsony um, will then uh, presumably come loaded with all, with, with all the government sort of uh, extras and bells and whistles in terms of empowerment partners and uh, you know uh, uh, cutting in cutting in the caters. I, I think it's 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 highly disingenuous for somebody to say that you're going to make this sort of um, uh, this sort of uh, shift around. And then so, well, I can't really talk about cardio deployment because that is fundamental to the way the ANC has structured the state. You know, a, a President Trump opposer, one of the few things he's ever become animated on is that we're not going to change this. Mm. In fact, it, 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 when words recorded by the Zondo Commission, this adds another layer of accountability to our state. So it take away cardio deployment and we, you know, we'll fall into this morass of corruption. <laughs> yeah. Good Lord. It, it, it's a little bit like like saying, you know, bubonic plague is not that bad if you just ignore all the things that kill you. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, okay. So 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 you know, uh, um, that's uh, that's the one thing, and then of course there's just sheer corruption, um, and I, I keep on repeating this, and I don't know why this isn't going viral. 
you see things things should go should go viral when I say them. But maybe I'm not on Twitter, so they don't go viral. Um, it's this: the NHI will be is a, is conceived as a state-owned enterprise whose only function will be to uh, collect and spend money. The, you, I, I don't know, must I draw you a picture? Well, <laughs> well, just on that point, as, a, as, as perhaps an illustrative example of uh, the current state of the SOEs, let's just quickly look over the SABC, uh, which the Sunday Times said is looking at a loss of one billion rand over the weekend. Except instead of you know putting on soap operas, this will be your healthcare that the government will be running into the ground. Um, is Michael, it was quite good actually at one stage. <laughs> Uh, maybe at one stage, um, and I'm sure well, there's still talented people <laughs> making things in the in the in the, uh, in, the in the SABC. But uh, a lot of SABC mm. programming is not that great. Anyway, um, Michael, you know there's a there's a sort of larger philosophical argument about NHI, which is that you know, mm -hmm. how much of a role should the state actually play in the provision of healthcare? Uh, how centralized should a healthcare system be? Stuff like that, but. And and I have very different views from the government of that, although I do think there are more reasonable arguments for, for having state intervention in the healthcare sector. But be that as it may, that's really kind of missing the point here. That's like um, playing in the clouds when we've got the much larger problems, as Terence has just pointed out here, of just the fundamentals uh, being that we cannot trust the state to manage this much money. It will become the largest political patronage machine <laughs> in the country and whoever the minister of health would be would be empowered to hand out you know favors and money and spending to an unimaginable degree i, mean, I don't know what's your, what's your take on this mm. um i mean i agree with everything it's kind of key points that you've all raised but i want to go back to one of the things you you began with um nicholas which was the the kind of surprise, the public surprise that this thing has, you know, finally been <laughs> been approved, has gone through Parliament. That MPs have actually said, "Yes, we want this," and and this is a bit of a pattern. We've seen it with the expropriation legislation, which Terence has written a great deal about. We've seen it with in every sphere of ANC policymaking. We've seen this pattern, where something which is generally among intelligent people regarded as unworkable or perhaps just in a too raw state to even be considered a kind of rational policy crammed into a bill and before you know it it's um it's it's, it's gone through parliament and then you know we hear that it's going through the national council of provinces and you know it's bound to be challenged there and you know questions are going to be raised and Lo and behold, it'll it'll sail through there too, um, and it, it it is it's a bit surprising that there is any surprise anymore. That this is actually what what the ANC is is you know it's it's it, its praxis is, um, and in fact what we're looking at here is a sort of massive interference with the way we live our lives and the way we choose to live. <clears throat> Moving on to the, the 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 second point that you raised is you know. The other ways of looking at this, and there is a sense. I mean, I grew up with a just anecdotally, but I just mentioned this very briefly. My mother was a, a theatre sister in the 
trained at the Gloucester Royal Infirmary. She served in the in the guys in St Thomas's Hospital in London during the Blitz. Her mother was a a nurse in Queen Alexandra's Imperial Nursing Corps. So I grew up with this very and she when my mother came out to South Africa in the 1950s and married and and, and had us well before she had myself and my brother. She worked for Bantu Health actually for a, a TB isolation hospital. And so I grew up with a sense of medicine, public medicine, public health being a kind of service. This, there was a whole ethos of you know quite this is quite a legitimate thing that people do because they have almost a calling to do it, they care about other people and so on. But the proviso is, um, and this comes back to Terence's point and the point that you've made too, that these things are run in a context of honesty, sound management, basic application of rules and, and, and medical protocols, <clears throat> and there's a kind of strictness, there's a discipline, there's a proper way of doing things, and that's, and that's the measure. Um, and and so if you look at South African healthcare, I mean, we have uh, a very considerable public health care sector. It's 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 massive, and it, it, with millions of, of, of rands, hundreds of millions, I don't even know, but hundreds of millions of rands spent on it every year, and it's it's just badly run. That's actually what the problem is. The 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 the, 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 the skeletal structure perhaps is there. We just need to avoid the. The, the cater deployment that Terence mentions and the corruption that both of you have mentioned, if we can if we can deal with those things and confront those, and, and so in that sense, it's completely unacceptable for somebody like Dr. Crisp to say, well, this is a political question, I'm not going to deal with it, when it is, in fact, fundamental. Um, as we saw, in fact, during COVID, when there were, you know, specific promises made that there are going to be measures to ensure that corruption does not occur, and lo and behold, there was, on a massive scale. Um, so, yeah, it's not a very convincing picture. <clears throat> no, definitely. Um, Terence, do you have any final thoughts <clears throat> on this? Uh, it's, it strikes me as I think in many ways NHI is actually one of the greatest threats to the functioning of South Africa because I believe fundamentally that it's clear that it will hurt particularly middle-class people. Uh, and I'm not just talking about, you know, the sort of stereotype of, uh, white suburbanites or something that the media seems to uh, mm. often view uh, middle classes to mean. But I'm talking about the majority of the middle class who are actually lower income black South Africans who are still professionals and work in government, maybe they work in the private sector, uh, who are now, who have just managed to climb out of the public healthcare system. And mm. those people, I think, if they have skills, are probably going to try and leave if they now suddenly have the government determining which hospital they can go to or what what benefits are covered your thoughts yeah look i think that that uh, one of the big ironies of this is that well, i think one of the most immediate losers will be will be civil servants and yeah. the civil service has been probably the, the um uh the greatest forum for for socioeconomic uh, uh mobility for 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 black people um now you know whatever whatever weaknesses it has, and you know we can talk about those for hours and hours and hours. You know, in terms of, um, in, you know, of 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 elevating people into a into a solid middle class lifestyle, you know, it's 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 done that you know remarkably well. Uh, I think that that probably the first thing on the on the chopping block, uh, you know, before your discoveries or whatever, will be the government employees medical aid scheme. I think that. That that will be the first one to be uh, uh, to be collapsed, and then you will be on the um, uh, uh, on the NHI. 
parting shot out of the gate. I think, interestingly, it'll probably hit um, MPs and legislators too. Uh, I think as you go further up the food chain, you start to do what is, uh, you know, what is possible in many dysfunctional developing countries. You have sponsors who, or you have the state that will pay for you to go and get proper medical care elsewhere. Uh, it's interesting how many African heads of state have died abroad. Um, or, you know, the, the, there was a, a Nigerian president. I understand, you know, his merely parking his plane in London was costing the Nigerian state millions of pounds. Um, and apparently, uh, in one year, he was there for, I think it was Buhari, he was there for, I think, effectively six months of the year. Um, so, you know, look, you know, there, there, there will be certain people who can um, uh, who can escape it. But, you know, I would just like, like to remind everyone what I think uh, uh, Dr. Crisp was was allowed to get away from is this. He said, well, you know, okay, after you off you on the scheme, we will pay you, you know, you, we will cover certain conditions and you will then go to your doctor and there'll be no out-of-pockets and all, you know, it's all great because I do think that there are real issues. I think it's, it's you know, it, 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 it is scandalous that somebody who, you know, uh, dies because, um, uh, he or she can't afford, let's say, insulin for diabetes or whatever. These, you know, these are conditions which I think should be, um, uh, you know, which I do think society, in broad terms, you know, has uh, 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 has an interest. And I would say a responsibility to assist with. But then, okay, but if, if we don't pay for that, well, then you, you, you know, fortune. Well, you're then welcome to go on with the medical aid scheme you have. However. The whole plan is to take the money that you are spending on that scheme now and put it in. So, yes, you know, just just top that up with another five, six grand or whatever. And, you know, you're on your way. Now, maybe right. for, for, for someone like Dr. Crisp, you know, you have that kind of that kind of uh, kind of money. But the vast majority of the middle class does yeah. not. So it'll be that, what that, it will. Yeah, that's exactly the point is that it will actually create a kind of inequality where you will have a very small selection of the super elite who are able to have these extensive medical aid packages that are very expensive but cover the rare conditions that are not covered by NHI. And if you are even sort of middle class or poorer uh, and you get anything that's even a slightly rare disease, good luck because NHI will probably not help you out. It's my prediction. Or, or you know, you you will, you know, there'll be a, um, uh, there will be Waiting unaccredited course. facilities in the country which charge strictly right. cash. Mm. Or, you know, yeah. there will be, you know, um, uh, a blesser, you know, a sort of Latter-day yeah. doctor who will pay for you to go and, you know, spend mm. you know, two or three months in, um, uh, in, a, in a private clinic in New York. Right. You know, capitalist mm. medicine having its, having its advantages. Or mm. perhaps a sympathetic government like Cuba can take you and, you know, treat you in the same, um, in, in, uh, uh, in the clinic where its, uh, uh, where its political elite gets, gets their treatment. Or you could possibly have a military hospital. That's what PW Bertie used to do. You know, right. which, mm -hmm. you know, all, all of which says, you know, this for me, that for thee. Yeah. And, yeah. From, and for me, mm. I'm okay. Mm. You, not so much. Yeah. yeah. So yet another attempt to eliminate inequality in our society is likely going to entrench it. Anyway, um, let's move on. <laughs> Speaking of that, let's move on to our next topic. And this is... Uh, coming from the president's <clears throat> weekly newsletter, so every week there's this newsletter that comes out from the office of the president, from the desk of the president, and it talks about a variety of issues. Um, we sometimes cover them on the show. This week, President Ramaphosa defends the social grants system. Um, well, sort of. He he kind of basically defends government spending on public services, uh, which is, I think, he's not. He's kind of trying to fudge the issue a little bit here. But anyway, he, he goes on to say that uh, since the advent of democracy, we have dedicated great efforts and resources towards alleviating poverty and reducing inequality. This is through substantial social protection programs. Government has been a vital 
uh, provided vital support to millions of South Africans, lifting many out of extreme poverty and meeting many of their basic needs. Um, he goes on to say that uh, uh, the funds spent on social protection are not wasted. They make a real difference in people's lives both now and into the future. But social protection in South Africa goes far beyond the provision of social grants for the elderly children, people with disabilities and military <clears throat> veterans. It goes beyond the work of the Unemployment Insurance Fund, which provides income support for unemployed workers, or the Compensation Fund, which supports those involved in the work workplace accidents. It encompasses all support provided to South Africans, mainly the poor, through which has it has become known as the social wage. This includes provision of free basic services, healthcare, basic education, higher education, social housing, and transport. When debt servicing costs are excluded, I wonder why they're excluded, um, around 60% of government's budget is spent on the social wage. And he just goes on to talk about the sort of idea that the social grant system firstly can't be isolated from the provision of something like government healthcare or government education. Um, but beyond that, that it creates uh, the conditions by which someone can escape the so-called poverty trap, which is where you're so poor that you can't ever seek out proper opportunities to escape from poverty because you're so busy dealing with your day-to-day -day needs. Um, Michael, what do you make of this? So I think uh, in the way the president has put this argument it, it, it sounds more reasonable, but I think it's kind of fudging things, which is that, um, you know, when you get a sort of 350 grant, when you get the child grant, it's not really creating any kind of better future for you. Um, maybe it allows you to buy food, but that's kind of about it. It's not particularly sustainable. What are your thoughts on this? Mm. I think, <clears throat> I mean, I didn't speak for Terence, but I think Terence and I are probably more or less on the same page about the importance of providing uh, a basic relief for the millions of poor people we know are out there. there a lot of them are invisible, but the statistics tell us just how serious um, the position is. And uh, you know, we, that's uh, there's nothing uh, there's nothing fancy about that argument. We plain one about compassion for society and so on. But I think a key thing is that there's no grants, no amount of spending that the government can do that will be ever be a substitute for economic policy or even even spending money on policy initiatives that are going to create jobs that are going to enable people to be the agents of their own uh, uh, improving lives and, and uh, seeking a state a stake in in the society um, there was a very interesting um editorial action just quite recently on on uh, on business live the end of june um, focusing on a University of Cape Town uh, researcher Haroon Boratz um, and his team at the Development Policy Research Institute UCT, looking at the uh, the social relief um, grant that um, was intended, the government said, to help people to go and look for jobs. Um, and what they found was that there was, in fact, hardly any meaningful impact on employment at all. Um, and, and they suggested that, in fact, rather than spending money on these grants, you should rather invest, uh, spend this money on, in fact, developing businesses and so on. Um, because, you know, part of the, the fact here, the, 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 the kind of bald fact that we've got to face is that this money depends on income, depends on, on, on the government's income and a, a declining 
uh, tax base. We've, we've talked about the NHI. But if anything's going to frighten people away from the country, it's something like NHI and the continuing corruption on the massive scale. With, with the you know the creation of a new state-owned enterprise, as Terence says, the only function is to is to amass and and spend money. Yeah, or to go viral. I think viral. Yeah, viral indeed. Um, and that's only going to put pressure, more pressure on this declining uh, tax base. We we can't, we simply can't rely on that. It's it's not going to be enough, however virtuous the president thinks this is. And Terence and I agree that you know there's got to be a measure of of compassion and concern for people who literally need this help every month. Um, it's not. This is not a long term solution. In the absence of looking at jobs and developing the economy and so on. Right, and I, and I think for for me that's that's kind of the the key issue here is that you, this this whole the whole idea in my mind of what the social safety net should be is really the last resort to catch mm. the people who are the worst off, who are the most unlucky, who something bad <laughs> happens to them, who are in some very difficult situation, who have a broken family, something like that. The the and the and the objective should be to 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 have as few people in the system as possible right that's the ultimate yeah. goal of any of these programs mm -hmm. and yet when the numbers of how many more people have been added to the social grant system are read out in parliament at the uh, at the state of the nation or during the, the the budget speech or whatever the benches of the anc cheer and applaud mm -hmm. i know <clears throat> um terence your thoughts this issue. Yeah, yeah, no, there, there's, there's, there's something perverse about that. Taking pride in how many people, uh, uh, people we, we, you know, we have as, we have as welfare dependents. Um, mm. no, I, 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 I agree with Michael. I'm, you know, I'm in favour of, um, I'm in favour of social grants and, and, and social relief and uh, uh, free social services. Um, I think that that doesn't mean a huge amount if they if if, if those social services are not um, uh, are not of reasonable quality. So yes, you know we have free education, but you know one of the uh, worst education outcomes of being sort of comparable country. Um, about a decade or so ago, I remember speaking to a to a lady who um, uh, who uh, uh, did freelance editing editing, and she said that. Uh, um, Education is from Nigeria and Botswana. Told you they won't touch South African textbooks because they just think the quality is dreadful. You know, just so you know. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, what 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 struck me about the president's letter was uh, a, a turn of phrase uses often as we build our economy or something. What mm. is that? Well, we're not building our economy. Sorry. Uh, mm. You know, let's 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 pass uh, you know um, amendments to the to the Employment Equity Act. That uh, set the stage for bankrupting companies that don't comply with with, with a ministerial diktat. Uh, why don't we uh, threaten farmers through water quotas? Why don't we, you know, uh, put all this effort into expropriation without compensation? And then we turn around with a sort of who farted look in our face, saying, "Well, you know, <laughs> why are our plans not working?" <laughs> yeah, uh, talked about small business. Now, I'm old enough to remember P.W. Buerta speaking about how completely amazing small businesses were. Every old president since then has, you know, got up and said, you know, you bet double dog dare these are the businesses that are going to save the country. And, you know, you, I can't emphasize <laughs> this enough. It, and we are still just... working towards policy certainty. Policy certainty, <laughs> eh? not good policy. Um, 
So no, you know, I mean, seriously, get get you know, oh, you know, get get real. Yeah, the, the the just on the small business point is actually it, it is something that annoys me. It's a cliche of, and you can it's not just a South African problem. You can look at literally every single political campaign in the world. Um, is that no one is against small business except for like extremely hardcore. You know, maybe North Korea they're against small business, but but outside of that, like everyone is in favor of small business. Um, but actually, a lot of politicians really aren't. Uh, and 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 this is, you know, as Terence has just read out, there's a great number of examples. Is that um, it's very difficult to, unless you exempt small business from regulations, uh, you're really not going to do much to 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 actually help it. Um, Michael, final thoughts on this one? Mm, I think I must I must just quote the the line that Terence was thinking of in in Ramaphosa's uh, open letter, and this is it. I mean, it's remarkable that that he can say it. As we work to rebuild the economy, to create, we go. More, to create more employment and open opportunities for emerging businesses, we will continue to invest in the poorest and most vulnerable in our society. And yeah, I mean that's key. What's, what's, what's the unemployment rate right now? Just what was it when? Yeah, <laughs> right. The president from opposer took over. Just you know, as as we, as we do this. Yeah. And so yeah. I guess I guess the theme of the episode today is that government fundamentally has no credibility on these issues. Mm. And it doesn't seem to have realized that and is not doing much to try and win back that credibility. There are many things that I think can be criticized about NHI, even if it was perfectly implemented. But we're not even close to that stage. Yeah. Because we live in the world where government has no credibility. Uh, uh, there goes my power. Yeah. Um, and so it is with the social, <laughs> the social grant stuff, is that... <clears throat> uh, government has no credibility when it comes to growing the economy. And that is why people say the social welfare state is unaffordable or unsustainable. If we had 5% economic growth, it would be sustainable. But it's not. Okay, um, that's all the time we have for today. So thank you very much for uh, listening. This is a little bit worrying for me because my power went out and we're not supposed to have load shedding at the moment. So looking forward to it. <laughs> Whatever fresh problem has just caused this outage, but anyway, um, no, I hope no, that you no, enjoyed no, the we show. Just, we, just, we just got elevated, so I think ah, you understand. Cold day, stage um, four, wonderful. Um, okay, <laughs> with that, cheers, everyone, and have a wonderful day. We'll see you tomorrow on the Daily Picture. Bye bye. <laughs>